Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Go and Do Likewise, the Parable of the Good Samaritan. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, July the 14th, 2013. What is the kingdom of God like? The kingdom of God is like a gay woman who transgendered into a man and who then stayed with his lesbian partner. He attends church every Sunday with his adult daughter. They always sit in the front row, and if you take their seats, they'll tell you about it. This isn't a feeble attempt at a modern parable. It's a true story. Would you welcome these people? Could you invite them to your church? The kingdom of God shocks our sensibilities and bursts our boundaries. It subverts our sense of what matters the most. We must ask what Jesus meant by his strange deeds and words, says Gary Wills in his book, What Jesus Meant. He intended to reveal the Father to us and to show that he is the only begotten Son of that Father. What he signified is always more challenging than we expect, more outrageous, more egregious. In the kingdom of God, says Jesus, sometimes the right are wrong. Sometimes the bad are good. In the story of the Good Samaritan, told only in Luke, Jesus outs the insider and exalts the outsider. By the time of Jesus, Jews and Samaritans had hated each other for a thousand years. When King Solomon died in 931 BCE, the united monarchy split into two factions. Jeroboam led a revolt of ten northern tribes and established a new capital in Samaria. The two remaining tribes of the southern kingdom of Judah maintained a capital at Jerusalem. The legacy of this split was a millennium of political rivalry, ethnic hostility, and religious bigotry. Jews and Samaritans despised each other. In John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman at the well was shocked that a Jewish rabbi would even speak to her. She says, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? When a Samaritan village rejected Jesus, James and John wanted revenge. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? It's not clear why, but one time Jesus even told his twelve apostles not to go into any Samaritan village, but only to the lost sheep of Israel. But the parable of the Good Samaritan turns all these tables. Two religious professionals neglect a fellow Jew who was almost beaten to death, while a Samaritan was moved with mercy 
to help him. Jesus shocks us with this story. This shock factor reminds me of what Flannery O'Connor said about the gratuitous violence and grotesque characters in her stories. If your audience construes abnormal things as normal, and vice versa, said Flannery O'Connor, the writer must take extreme measures. She says, you have to make your vision apparent by shock. To the hard of hearing, you shout, and for the almost blind, you draw large and startling figures. O'Connor admitted that her stories were hard, but she said, they are hard because there's nothing harder or less sentimental than Christian realism. So Jesus shocks us with the oxymoronic Good Samaritan. He does the same thing when he makes a Samaritan leper the hero in Luke 17. Was no one found to return and give thanks to God except this foreigner? But that's not all Jesus intends. He doesn't merely shock us. There's no purpose in that. He wants to show us what living the life of God is like. Luke writes that the religious expert stood up to test Jesus with a question. What must he do to inherit eternal life? This wasn't an honest inquiry. He wanted to trap Jesus. When Jesus asked him what the scriptures say, the expert in the law quotes the two greatest commands, Deuteronomy 6.5 about the love of God and Exodus Leviticus 19.18 about love of neighbor. His answer was spot on. You have answered correctly, said Jesus which is a scary reminder that being religiously right is a far cry from showing mercy. Knowing the good isn't good enough without doing the good. If you want to truly live, if you want to inherit eternal life, said Jesus, show mercy to your neighbor. The expert in the law deflected Jesus' response. Luke says that he wanted to justify himself. He tries to limit his responsibility by defining who is or is not his neighbor. And in that context, Jews and Samaritans would have treated each other as neighbors, as enemies, and not as neighbors. This effort at self-justification is a close cousin to self-righteousness. They're both a recipe for spiritual death. In telling the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus flips the man's question. The right question is not, who is my neighbor? Rather, the right question is, who acted like a neighbor? Once again, the expert knows the right answer, and he says, the one who had mercy. But the story ends here, and we never learn if he moved from being right to showing mercy.
In his speech, I've Been to the Mountaintop, Martin Luther King Jr. put it this way, The priest and the Levite ask, If I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by, and he reversed the question. If I do not, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? And so Jesus concludes, Go and do likewise. Show mercy. For books this week, I review a title called The Way of the Stars, Journeys on the Camino de Santiago. The author is Robert Sibley. Charlottesville, University of Virginia Press, 2012. This book is 170 pages. In the summer of 2012, my wife and I walked the 500-mile El Camino de Santiago in northern Spain, following the footsteps of fellow Christians who've made this pilgrimage for over a thousand years. We began in the southwest corner of France, crossed the Pyrenees into Spain, then walked west for 33 days, one day for each year in the life of Christ. Last year, about 180,000 pilgrims from 140 countries walked the way of St. James. The Camino ends at the Cathedral of St. James, a massive edifice with a history that began in 829 AD and where legend says the bones of St. James are buried. And if you are fortunate, this end signals a new beginning in your life. The Canadian journalist Robert Sibley recalls his own Camino experiences in this travel memoir. He calls himself a lapsed Catholic and agnostic. He walked the Camino to keep a promise to his son, and as a journalist trip sponsored by his employer. Like many pilgrims, he also wanted to escape the ruts and routines of everyday life. <clears throat> but Sibley also admits to deeper and more explicitly spiritual motives, which longings grew stronger mile by mile. And despite secular embarrassment at the way of faith, why not admit it, he confesses, the mystery we seek is God. One night late in his trip, he had an intense dream about his father. He awoke drenched with sweat at five o'clock in the morning. He opened his hotel windows onto the morning darkness, heard a man playing a flute in the plaza, and started to cry for the first time in decades. At the end of his trip, when he went to the pilgrim's office to get his certificate of completion, like all pilgrims, he was asked about the motive for his trip. He replied without hesitation, spiritual. Like so many who have walked this way, Sibley discovered that while he journeyed the Camino, 
the Camino journeyed through the spiritual geography of his own heart. If you've ever wanted to walk the Camino de Santiago, consider a friend's advice to Sibley. He said, Sometimes you have to act before you know the meaning of your actions. The knowing comes after the doing. So, just go. Robert Sibley, The Way of the Stars, Journeys on the Camino de Santiago. For movies this week, I review the recent To the Wonder, 2013. <clears throat> Terence Malick, a Harvard graduate and Rhodes Scholar who has taught philosophy at MIT, has made five films in roughly 40 years. To the Wonder follows his 2011 film, The Tree of Life, which won the Palme d'Or for Best Picture at the Cannes Film Festival. The two movies are quite similar in form and content. In To the Wonder, a young couple falls in love in Paris then move back to the man's home in Oklahoma amongst tract home, oil derricks, and environmental degradation. So how does one nourish love across the long haul? Except for the whispery voiceovers, the characters in this film almost never speak. This is a film of images, not linear narrative. We never learn anyone's name, for example. Javier Bardem plays a priest who struggles with all the pain and sorrow he experiences. He says, All I see is failure, destruction, and ruin. The last line of the movie affirms the final triumph of love and beauty amidst life's suffering. The voiceover says, Love that loves us. Thank you. If you liked Tree of Life, To the Wonder by Terence Malick is Malick at his spiritual best. And for poetry in prayer this week, we've posted another in our series of Celtic poems and prayers this one is called Encompassing. The compassing of God in his right hand be upon my form and upon my frame. The compassing of the high king and the grace of the trinity be upon me abiding ever eternally. Be upon me abiding ever eternally. May the compassing of the three shield me in my means. The compassing of the three shield me this day. The compassing of the three shield me this night from hate, from harm, from act, from ill. From hate, from harm, from act, from ill. Encompassing one of the 25 Celtic poems and prayers posted at Journey with Jesus. 
Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, July 14th, 2013. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. 